What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, today I'm doing something that I've never done before. I'm doing a joint podcast interview slash release. Uh, this came out of an idea. Uh, Eric Tung, the podcast host for Blue Grit Radio, reached out to me. We've had a kind of a distant friendship now for a couple years where we have connected with, with each other about things we're doing at work, ways for us to recruit better, ways for us to take care of our folks with wellness better. And then we've also connected a number of, time, a number of times in reference to podcasting. Eric is a commander over on the west side of Washington State. He's been in the job for over 16 years and just doing some remarkable things. He's really living by example. He isn't just talking about wellness, but I see him living it out on a daily basis. And it's not easy, especially as we're balancing all of these roles that we play in life. Life can get super busy and it can really crowd out. A lot of good things can crowd out the really great things that we need to do to take care of ourselves. So Eric and I had a great interview talking about pretty much everything wellness, talking about culture, talking about our relationship uh, between community and law enforcement and how important that is. It was a great episode. If you're listening to my voice here at the beginning, you're listening on the Gravity Podcast. Uh, but you can also check out the same episode over at Blue Grit Radio with Eric doing an introduction. But before I get into that, folks, I want to talk about Warrior's Heart. Uh, you aren't going to see because this episode is not going to be on YouTube, but I am wearing a Warrior's Heart hat today. I love what they're doing down in San Antonio, Texas, and over in Virginia. Warrior's Heart is a PTSD and Substance Abuse Recovery Center, and they are warriors only. So military, first responders, you have to be part of those, those communities if you're going to go to Warrior's Heart. I just had a uh, someone who I recently developed a friendship with through communications who graduated the program there. I hope you're listening, brother. And I got to kind of walk with him a little bit, not not literally, but he was staying in contact with me while he was at Warrior's Heart and just telling me a little bit about the process. And I got to see that uh, in texts and in pictures. So uh, just great, great things. We Within the, these communities, first responder and military, it's it's unique. It's not like the general population. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not that one is better than the other. It's just that uh, there's unique experiences. And a lot of first responders and military members are very closed off uh, to other people. And so creating a, an environment where they can come in and be authentic and have a relationship of trust to heal their brains and bodies is so critical. If you haven't looked at Warrior's Heart before, check out their website or go check out their documentary on Amazon. Great documentary that tells you about their organization. Hey folks, with that, I say we get into this interview with Eric Tung. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Eric from Blue Grit Radio, and I'm joined today by Chris Luttrell. Why don't you introduce yourself and your fantastic podcast, Chris? Yeah, this is Chris with the Gravity Podcast, and uh, just excited to be here with Eric. I, I listen to your show, and I hear a lot of crossover sometimes with guests, uh, other times just with some of the topics that we're talking about. So I'm excited for us to join forces today and reach more more listeners. Yeah, man. Um, this is good. I'm excited. So for the listeners, you know, Chris and I have been acquainted for a couple of years, few years. Um, but even before that, and I think I shared this with you where I knew your name and your face, you know, through police one and just hearing it through the region, right? Like we're not that far apart. We're both in the state of Washington. You're in the tri cities. Um, I'm up in, you know, Seattle area, but it's not a huge community, which is amazing. Right. Totally. Um, especially when you look at like one state, but yeah. a lot of the things that you started doing and are continuing to do are things that at first I just thought it was super cool. And it wasn't until a lot more recently where I was like, I wonder if I can do some of those and things. And now so, you're doing it all and knocking it out of the park. That's what I love, yeah, brother. Thank you, man. No, it's, it's, it's very much like iron sharpens iron. You know, you talk about how we have some of the same guests, you know, crossing over and it's just, I love what one dude, you know, who's been on my show a couple of times that 
we came acquainted through social media because he wrote a book on his experience and struggles and lessons learned from post-traumatic stress, Mark Bouchard, shout out to Mark up in uh, BC, British Columbia. But, you know, it was at first when we just did phone conversations off recording, you know, I think I relayed not with a label, but this imposter syndrome kind of notion where I'm like, I mean, I'm not saying anything better than anyone else. He's like, it doesn't matter. You just got to say it. And it resonated with him, but he's like, we all got to just say more. And I think that's what these projects are about. That's what I really appreciate about being in this community where we do have to keep, I mean, we got to shoot for redundant if we're going to really break these stigmas and, and achieve this culture that we need. Yeah, I don't think that's what the I, I don't feel like that's been the approach, at least not initially. I feel like that's where we're getting now. And when I say we, I'm talking kind of within this bigger first responder culture and and tribe, if you will, group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, previously it was like our idea was, oh, let's do some training on this. We'll bring in a speaker. They'll talk for an hour or two. And then we've done it. And the reality is, is that's not the way we approach anything else that we need training on. You know, in searching a building, they didn't give me a gun and a flashlight and say, uh, so we're going to have you walk through it once and then just, you know, go out and do it. No, we, we, we had repetition at the police academy. You probably got to your first agency. You probably had repetition with a field training officer. If you, if you joined a tactical team, you trained and trained and trained about how to approach angles, you know, more effectively. And, but we, that's not the way we've approached wellness. We've approached it with this kind of one and done in the past and it just it doesn't work right i mean tom satterley he was a guest on my show and he has an amazing podcast uh all secure and he uses the word training and i've just totally globbed onto it right like i've totally taken it and now i'm saying it all the time it's not that we need help we need training we need training how to manage stress how to heal our brains how to help our, our partners how to help our families and if we look at it like that i think it's a lot more palatable for a lot of first responders because we understand training. We understand the value of it. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Right. It's uh, it needs to be integral in how you conduct yourself. Like it just has to be a part of your life. You know, we talk about this indoctrination of the culture and this training, right. From you're right. From the time Academy comes around, you have to start working on hypervigilance, right. Situational awareness. And these are things that some people, without giving much mind to it'd be like, no, I mean, some people just walk through life obliviously and other people are more in tune. It's like, no, you can learn that and you can learn anything. And so just to be in tune with your own emotions, right? How to metabolize them, these skills, just like a building clear, right? And what we learned when we started is certainly not exactly the same as what we learned, you know, more recently in our careers, because things develop, things evolve, and this needs to be part of that. And I do think it needs to be integrated completely in with the profession or professions you know first responder work military etc what's holding it up brother do you think what what from your experiences over on the west side of the state what's tripping us up from really adopting this as a culture Hmm. you know if i was going to summarize it you know from what i see regionally or nationally you know the conversations that that we all have on our platforms and other people have is if you had to summarize with three letters, I would say ego. Okay. And there's a lot of layers to extrapolate there. That's individual, that's agency, that's even the sense of old guard, new guard. Like I say it not to be emotional, but I'm sure me even saying it draws emotions of like, oh, we're out, you're in. No, it's just, it's evolving and it should be that way, right? We should just learn better, best practice and keep going with it. Yeah. I, I was going to say fear, but I think you and I are on the same page mm, here. They're, yeah, they're, uh, they're directly related. Oh, completely. And, and for, for a male-dominated or an alpha male culture, both in America as a whole, but then in first responder military communities, I think fear is, is at play a lot of the times, and we don't realize it. You know, when I would lose it and I'd scream, yell, and shout or whatever at my kids for fighting with each other, I was afraid that I was going to raise kids that, that didn't understand how to respect their mom, how to interact with each other. I was afraid that I was going to fail as a father, but I didn't sit my kids down and say, hey, you know, I'm kind of afraid. I'm kind of afraid of of me not doing this whole parenting thing right. Instead, it poured out in anger, and I saw the same thing in my professional life as well. But I, this was in my blinders for a lot of years where I didn't realize that fear was really the, the driving force. It was actually a, a high school coach 
when I was working as a school resource officer, it was a high school coach who I told I wasn't going to let my daughter wrestle in middle school wrestling because it was co-ed. And he initially was like high-fiving me like, yeah, absolutely. You know, we aren't going to let some, some boy manhandle our daughters. And mm-hmm. he, he came back to me the next day and he says, uh, hey, Chris, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's up? He's like, hey, was that decision... He, he, he was, why, why were you making that decision? What was at the core of it? And like, I was, I don't want some kid touching my daughter. He's okay. He was, if it's based on principle, that's spot on right decision. He was, but I kind of maybe afterwards thought about it. And I was thinking that both you and I were making that decision based on fear. Mm. And I went, mm. and he actually related it back to something his pastor had said at their church of, of we don't make decisions based on fear. We make decisions based on principle. And I think I've lived a lot of my life with fear being at least an element of some of the reason I've done things. And in some ways it's been good. It's driven me to train harder, to, you know, to produce more. Yeah. Being safe. Yep. In some, in some cases it drove me to, to make a decision without using that full force of my prefrontal cortex, without using all that thinking brain power that I really do want to show up with. So. That's such a, I mean, that's a very in tune way to look at things. And I think fear is the governor, you know, it's, it's either pain avoidance or it's pleasure seeking. If you want to boil it down to those, those two polars, but polarities, but uh, yeah, fear is, is that thing. And we, unless you're mindful, unless you attempt to be mindful and introspective, we don't recognize where these drivers are coming from or where we come to these decisions. And so even to be, you know, something you said to expand upon that for, you know, different types of officers to recognize that we were wrong or we didn't see it a certain way. That's scary. Right. And that's to say like, man, I, I like lived my whole life this way and I, I did it to try to protect myself, to protect my officers, to, you know, whether it's sweeping things under the rug and not facing these emotions front on, it's really challenging, right, to our paradigm to be like, man, was I was I actually hurting people? Because that wasn't the intent. And so it's not to come from a place of judgment or shame. And those are those are directly related to right fear and shame and guilt. Um, but yeah, I think it's a lot of that to not not ego in this like I need to be right, but ego in the sense of like it's really alarming and jarring if you should, you know, put that on unstable ground. Yeah. Well, and I think. I think this is a very natural thing for us to do as humans. If we can keep something at arm's distance, it makes us feel safer. So it's kind of like when you when you read about a really bad thing happening to someone in the Midwest. If you're living over here on the West Coast, it's like, oh, that's sad. Sad that mm-hmm. something bad happened to a father. If this happens to your neighbor, we feel that, right? Like we, It's like, holy smokes. And you feel a little bit because maybe you know the person. But even if you don't, if it's just the... I can't remember what it's called, like the rule of proximity or whatever, but it just, when it's closer to you, it makes us feel vulnerable. And I think that's the case with, with, I don't even want to call it mental illness. I just want to call it injuries, injuries of our mind Mm -hmm. that come Mm -hmm. from our jobs as first responders. If, if it's, if it's the other people, if it's those people that are affected by it, or even throw some labels on it. Well, you know, some officers just don't have what it takes. Some officers just aren't cut out for this. Some people aren't just cut out for this line of work. Well, if they've done it for 15 or 20 years and you know they have a history of doing great work, then then you have to ask another question of, well, maybe it's not a matter of being cut out for it and not cut out for it. Maybe it's uh, just recognizing, hey, that this injures us as human beings. And so if that's the case, I'm vulnerable and I need to do something about it, right? I mean, it's like at first it's like this defeating thought, I think of, wow, this could happen to me, but then I hope it to move to almost a, a motivator of, well, then what do I do about it? How do I, how do I solve this problem? Like that, that's what we do. We solve problems. Paramedics solve problems. Firefighters solve problems. Police officers solve problems. So let's solve the problem, right? And, and figure out how to train our brains better. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot there. And, uh, you know, one piece, there is this overwhelming vulnerability, right? When it is close to home, like literally, and it could be your own hometown. You're right. Like maybe blocks from your house and someone you've never seen or met, but it just brings that reality. Like, Oh man, this could be me or this could be my family. And so it is jarring. And I think in, in one way, social media, the media makes that 
magnified, right? There's no way that you'd be aware of all these, you know, atrocities in the world uh, a long, long time ago. That's not necessarily the world that it's not the world that existed, but it's something oh. different now. And so the flip to that, because I heard a recent discussion of that, like, man, we're not wired to accept and recognize this much, you know, terror and chaos and hurt, right? The, the empaths out there that a lot of them are listening to our shows because, you know, they, they really care and they're, they're fighting the fight, but it affects them so much, right? Like, so, you know, we can talk about secondary tertiary trauma, but you could expound that out to like, you know, hundreds of levels, but still affecting you to some degree. And rather than just sit on that, like negative thought, you know, my, my thought is, you know, on the other side of the coin, luckily, you know, we're having these conversations, right? And so it might just be one or two or three people at a department that feel a certain way, or might be a little bit more vocal, or maybe no one's very vocal, because the culture is so uh, predominant in the other direction. And they just haven't gotten there yet. But the fact is, Hey, you look across the nation, there's a bunch of people writing, speaking, sharing uh, conferences, all these things that are so necessary to like simply socialize and recognize and show like it's a thing and people aren't alone. Yeah. Yeah. Are we just, I mean, I don't know. I guess you've already touched on that. Just the, the, the necessity for repetition, right? Because, um, how else do you get the messaging out there? Because there, there's a lot of folks that aren't doing great. Mm-hmm. And and obviously different degrees. Some of them are aware of it. Sometimes we're not aware of it. It's just happening in the background a little bit. Um, I don't know. That, I'll be honest with you. Like, There's a lot of good podcasts out there. There's a lot of dynamite folks out there telling their story and coming on podcasts or hosting their own. And so like, sometimes I get a bit exhausted. I'm like... Am mm-hmm. I am I even making a difference, right? Like, yeah. if if other people are already doing this, then I don't need to do it. Like, I I need to find something else. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? Do you struggle with that at all? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And yeah, it's the uh, same thing with social media, right? Like, I I think this is probably accurate. You can tell me if not. But when you started getting on social or started writing or started your podcast, it wasn't to reach a certain number of people, but it was to share and recognize that someone could and probably would find value in what you shared and how you shared it, right? Someone's going to resonate more with Chris than with Eric. That's just a fact. We're different. Yeah. And everyone's experience is different. And that's not to be like a snowflake conversation. That's to be like, no, like even going back to post-traumatic stress and response to critical stress, like what's quote unquote a critical incident for me might be very different than for you. Um, You know, I certainly lost way more sleep over these innocuous kinds of domestic or family related calls than my you know officer involved shooting i certainly lost more sleep and had more angst over a debrief that i facilitated i wasn't even there i wasn't even working that day just hearing and seeing my officers and my people's emotions yeah and then translating that thought and supposing my family was in that same situation of the call they're describing i could picture it and i lost more sleep over that than any call i'd been on yeah and so like even to you know introduce these notions of like weakness or perceived weakness or not cut outness like i mean that's kind of crazy if you if you distill that down and you actually walk it out people i think most people would get it they're like yeah that doesn't make sense that we would just label everything the same because most people know somebody that has had a situation kind of like oh man like most of us know a colleague or you know within a close network someone that went to a call and then that was it for them because that kid reminded them of their kid or, you know, those kinds of examples. Yeah. And no one would cast judgment towards that. But for some reason, if we just look at the totality and we don't know the nitty gritty details, some of us would write off, oh, yeah, they're just burned out. I guess they're not cut out for it, right? Like, but that can look so many ways. And we also know if we're honest with ourselves that death by a thousand cuts is very much a thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not the onesies, twosies. It's, you know it's the boss getting on me for this BS and it's this complaint and it's me not feeling supported in my community. All these things just contribute. And yeah. so, yeah, I think, uh, kind of went a little different direction, but I don't think it does tie back into that sense of like, do I need to be doing this? And to answer that question also, I would say, as long as you feel like you need to be doing it right. Because I think that as first responders, as peer support types, a lot of times it's hard for us to set down the torch or even take a break. Um, it's not to say you're quitting on the thing 
or leaving the industry, right? Like you've, you've retired and congratulations. Thank you. Um, but that's something that I want to make redundant is continually. I'm like, Hey, whether you do three years or 30, like, thank you for your service. Like you yeah. did something, you did a lot of some things that are important. Absolutely. Hey, have you had the chance to get curious with that? Why did the peer support where you did a debriefing, why did that cause more loss of sleep than the calls? Yeah, I, I know exactly why. Um, one of the things was the victim, uh, the main victim in that call was very similar in age and race to my mom. Okay. And so when they were describing the circumstance, I was like, oh man, like it takes it home, right? This is not close. I mean, yeah, it's not like my mom's neighborhood or anything, right? It's a neighbor, a city away, but the circumstance was so innocuous. I was like, you know, it's kind of a freak thing. Um, where it could be anyone, you know, sitting at home and then that thing kind of thing happened. So yeah, it's just like you draw these similarities and it, it hits close to home. Yeah, totally. I was also in my mind where I was going and tell me if I'm off base here, uh, if I were in your shoes there, the, the, the other piece of it for me, when I've been in your shoes, let me say it that way. The other piece yeah. for me is I have less control. When I responded, mm. I felt like I had a little bit of control to to stop the the chaos and to help the people in crisis whereas when i'm just hearing about it later i have zero control i'm just mm. hearing about it. you know i'm 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 this i'm this spectator and as first responder even now retired i don't do good as being a spectator mm. yeah i i don't think that was as much a factor in that scenario however i fully believe in what you're saying. And I see it in myself, right? These layers of, you know, benching yourself or being benched, yeah. it hurts, it hurts. Um, even when your role changes in these positive ways, right? Like you promoted as a sergeant, that's not an officer job. It's different. Like you get, you get to be in tune with things, but you're not going to all the calls your, your guys and gals are going to. Yeah. And I don't know if that was a thing for you, but a lot of times I kind of had this parental feeling where I'm listening to the radio and I'm trying to get there, but I know I'll basically be last Yeah, and it sucks. It sucks to feel like you're not in it. Uh, however, you know, I just recently promoted command. So it's another layer of that where I'm like, man, I'm not in it, but we all have a part to play in the team, et cetera. It, yeah, I don't, I don't regret it. I don't think that, um, I'm not trying to downplay my role and my impact or potential influence, uh, but it does. It is uncomfortable. I'll yeah. say that it's a different role. It's a very different role. It's a necessary role, and and it's great when we recognize the importance that the different roles have. Like I remember um, with our last chief, our current chief at Kennewick is 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 solid. I really enjoy him. He's actually been a mentor in my life. Uh, but I heard this spoken about the previous chief, how great he was at building relationships in our community. And when we didn't have money for tasers back in 2007, my man went out there and got money from tasers from, mm. from donors in the community, right? And so all of a sudden we have tasers now. And so I, I, I just remember that in the station, I remember hearing yeah. officers say how much they appreciated our chief for being a chief. They don't want him out pulling stops, although he still would do that from time to time too because he, he just had it in him, but he didn't do it very often. He did it enough to where it was like, my man's still a cop, but yeah. he, he didn't do it so often that he was being distracted from, sure. from what the rest of us really needed him to do, which was to be a chief and to network with our community. So, yeah. And it is important. It's like, literally that is the bigger impact is chief getting you the tools you need, right? Yes. Getting you the things you need, supporting you the way you need, um, however, it does not excuse the leaders that are so entrenched in what they're doing. And I've been there, right? I've been there in different roles where I recognized and I even verbalized at times like, man, I haven't seen like the guys or those guys over there for a bit, but I just got my nose to the grindstone. I got to do this thing. Yeah. But you got to surface for air. And part of that is that symbolic leadership and that understanding, not just symbolic, but no, if you go pull a couple stops, you are reminded of the daily challenges. You know, if you are on the air listening, you are reminded of the daily challenges, but just like that conversation of, you know, the officer's job. Yeah. I, I do want to say the officer's job is more important than the chiefs, but then I also want to caveat because yeah, like we need organization, we need leaders uh, officially, but also we all recognize. And I think just about every chief would recognize. Yeah. Without the officers, there is no police, right? hundred percent. 
yeah just like uh do you know the quote is basically that the average the average marine is the best ambassador for the u.s overseas right in, oh completely in, in conflict yeah yeah because you're they're the ones doing the work they're the ones that are visible and leadership trickles down and it trickles up too but uh yeah it makes me think about how you know you're recently retired it doesn't lessen your role and maybe you're going to shirk that off because i could see my personality kind of doing that too but no like we need advocates in the community we need people that are culturally competent you literally were in that seat and you're in a different seat yeah and there's a lot of things you can do and say that i can't do or say completely um, oh yeah you can train civilians and you wouldn't have the time or bandwidth to do that before to the level that you're going to be doing or doing now so we all have a part to play and i, I also like to remind you know there's non-cops that non-law enforcement non-first responders that listen into our shows i've had direct conversations about that with some people listening or some of my closest friends and they sometimes are like man like you're doing this thing that's so important i'm like so are you man yeah you know so are you you're a you're a boss you're affecting people's day-to-day -day. you're helping people be gainfully employed you're a fixture in your community you're a philanthropist your father like these are these are just as crucial at every level yeah no they they really are that's the reality is us as a community uh, you know as police something i felt was uh, we have a pretty remarkable Tri-City community that works with us. Uh, if it's a homicide, people are talking probably. Like the, the, the stone wall, we don't talk to the police, even within the, the gang culture. Uh, once someone dies, usually people are willing to talk with us, and we were able to solve a bunch of crimes because of that. But again, that's a community effort. Uh, there was one gal in particular in our community that actually started a, it wasn't a nonprofit, but it was, like a Facebook page, and she was trying to bring the gang drug culture people, not necessarily they're all active gang members or active drug users, but that's kind of the, the, the life that they came from. So they've had lots of interactions with the police, and she was trying to bring them and the police together, like organizing barbecues and, and trying to be a spokesperson saying, the police are here for us. Uh, when, when, when horrible, horrible things happen, if we want a safe community where our family members are not being murdered, we have to step up. We have to give these officers a chance. And she started with a small circle of officers that she really trusted. And then we just have been growing that relationship. But it takes the whole community, not just in their profession, but in their their cooperation and willingness to to tell us their story. Because this isn't, uh, this isn't uh, what was it, uh, Tom Cruise, pre-crime. Uh, Minority yeah, Report. This is yeah. This yeah. isn't Minority Report. We can't just guess that something's going to happen in a few hours and then show up and prevent it from happening. We have to have people being willing to communicate with us, to equip us with, with what we need to to stop stuff from happening. So, or at yeah. least to investigate it afterwards, I should say. Yeah, I went to the sweet train. I mean, in in line with that theme, like this really good training put on by the IACP at a conference, but it was essentially like identifying risk behaviors in and students and kids right for school shooters and potential school shooters and it was put on by a couple fbi agents but it was really talking about this uh this integral partnership between cops schools like the staff and then yes. mhps right counselors and just they were able to see these things that didn't rise to the level of criminal quote-unquote criminal action but super concerning right super concerning for parents super concerning for staff and they had a couple case studies where they're actually able to, you know, use open source and consent from parents to look at what they're searching for, get searched of the rooms to see these very alarming things, maybe, maybe kind of odd to the average eye, but to a trained professional, uh, the intel level that they have in these trends of kind of paying homage to prior shooters, like a lot of really like alarming stuff Yeah, and then get them the help they needed. Right. And even for some of these kids, like they're too young to even, if they did anything, you know, like brought something to school, it, would it even be, would it rise to the level of a crime, depending on where you are, who knows, but to really have these case studies where, you know, some of these kids got into adulthood and are doing quite well, right? So now they're out of that extremely vulnerable environment. They've been giving tools, they're continually in treatment and care. I mean, that's like, that's the gold standard. And so, I love how that example really illustrate what you're talking about because we can say like build bridges with the community and some people think that it's, you know, kind of a, a nice political thing to say, but it's true. It's like, literally we are just 
one arm and one tool within the community. You know, it's the education system, it's the medical system, all these systems that, you know, in the last few years, all eyes went on the police, but we're just one of the things like we'll, we'll take our licks and we'll do what we can. That's part of the job. I think that we're all yeah. signed up to be taking on extra scrutiny, but we have to be just one piece, one spoke of the wheel. Yeah, I agree. You were saying, as you were saying that, what it made me think of specifically when you talk, I heard you really showing empathy, recognizing that some of these people that have either almost become the next school shooter when they're connected with the right resources, we, we, we as adults can help them through the crisis without them actually committing that act. And I can tell you on this side of a PTSD diagnosis, this side of going to an inpatient recovery center uh, with all the labels that I threw on myself because of that, I have a, a greater uh, degree of empathy for other people. I have a greater degree of empathy. Now, it doesn't mean there, there, there shouldn't be consequences. There's consequences for actions. Uh, and on top of there being consequences of actions, recognizing uh, how we can how we can support our fellow man, right? Because there's a lot of things that we can do. And I don't know how you guys feel, and I don't know what you're, what it's like in your community, but we have a very robust therapeutic court system here in Benton County where we have mental health court, drug court, veterans court. And now they have another one. I can't remember the title of it, but it's at the misdemeanor level. Uh, but it's a similar type of, uh, type of court. And I've always loved these courts because the the opportunity, the risk versus reward, they, they come in and I don't think they actually plead guilty, but they pretty much plead guilty to where they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're stipulating to the police officer's report, pretty much saying everything in the report is true and, or that I'm not going to argue it, I should say. Sure. It, and then they get the opportunity for a year or 18 months or two years to go through this, this high accountability system where they're doing UAs on a daily, weekly basis, going to court. And if they mess up or if they tell the judge, you know, F off, I'm done with this, we just move right to the sentencing phase. It's time for you to go to prison now. Yeah. And I love that because I've seen uh, my, my last job I had before I retired was I was supervising the officer that, that was the facilitator for mental health court. So I would go to the graduations. And I would start crying, man. I mean, like you would have these people in the courtroom whose life was falling apart and they had committed crimes. And now a year and a half later, they've graduated college with a nursing degree, right? And you, you look at them and they look healthy. And their, their family, who they caused dysfunction for, maybe even some of them were victims of crimes, were, are in the courtroom cheering them on because they've they've gotten their life back, right? And I, I I love examples like that. And while again, I think we have to have accountability, and I think that some people, um, well, there's a lot of people that have taken it to, uh, to the point that they're probably just going to be incarcerated the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like having opportunities to help people get back on track when that's the appropriate measure. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you have the discussion and people are willing to actually open their eyes and open their mind, it makes sense, right? You can see these, a lot of people that are, I think the correct term is substance abuse disorder, right? Like a lot of people that are afflicted by these crazy, like it keeps, like the ceiling keeps raising on how addicted these drugs are, right? Like we're talking about fentanyl now, like, but you know, you talked to older cops about the crack epidemic, right? Yeah. And then opioids, like we we worked a lot of that in our careers and just to see that and to imagine that something could get worse and more deadly is asinine. It's crazy, crazy talk. Right. But here we are. Um, but not to distract that conversation, essentially, like I remember, and I feel like I was a pretty empathetic kid, uh, but then coming into police work, some of the just training culture and just the culture shock potentially of this different job where people actually did want to hurt me. Um, yeah, I, I turned pretty callous in a lot of ways, but I remember after, you know, a few years after I settled out of that and kind of got called out and these are things I've talked about quite a bit. I remember going to, you know, working day shift and going to an upper middle class, little, little housing development. And I'm going to talk to two parents about, you know, their house getting routinely pilfered, um, every time they let their daughter back in and I look at her DOL photo and she's just like she could be, you know, prom queen, right? She's a sharp looking gal, um, bright eyes and just, you know, all this spirit and, you know, you look at the potential and then you look at like a booking photo and you're like, Oh my goodness. Right. Like, 
And that's like the illustration that it could happen to anybody, right? These were not bad parents. Like they're, if anything, they were super engaged. The fact you're having these conversations, they don't know what to do. They don't want to enable, they don't want to hurt her. They don't want her to get in a situation where she's going to be at some flop getting worse. Right. And yeah. it's all these things. And if that doesn't illustrate the fact that this could be your friends, this could be your neighbor, this could be your kid. You know, I didn't have any kids, but like to say, like, just to see that and recognize and try to relate to that. Like, I think that's huge. And I think that that makes us better cops. I think we need to never lose sight of that. And if anything, remind ourselves. So, you know, even when you're giving the, the details of going to court and seeing that family react, like, I feel like that should probably be something that people do. You know, I don't like making people do things, but if, if there was an element in Academy and I know, you know, the state puts out more, you know, online training modules where you hear, people's stories i think that's important yeah absolutely hey can we turn towards towards the family yeah i was literally at a just before this i was at a, a promotion ceremony at my old agency they were promoting two new sergeants and two new commanders and uh and one of the the newly promoted commanders had had was thanking his family his wife his kids and just pretty much acknowledged that sometimes they're they're getting they're getting the short end of the stick Mm -hmm. And that's something that resonates a lot with me because my family got the short end of the stick for me for a lot of years. There's times that they weren't getting the short end of the stick too, right? Because I mean, I was, I was, and I am an engaged dad, mm -hmm. but the reality is, is, is the first responder job is going to take your time sometimes, especially with call-ins. And then, like you said, there's times that we're going to take it home with us. And even if you try not to, you're going to be thinking about that peer support debrief, or you're going to be thinking about the, uh, the, your most recent investigation. And, uh, I just, I want us to, and I don't know the answer. I genuinely don't have an answer here. I want us to find a better way to connect the family to these resources as well, to train the family, just mm -hmm. like we need to train officers how to manage stress. How do we train the family? I can't mandate them to show up for training. And, and I don't know I don't know how to, I don't know where, like, what do they want? Like, I want to train them. I want to equip them with, this is what's going to happen in this job. And this is what you can do to mitigate some of it. But I've seen uh, wellness events organized and nobody shows up. And yeah. so like, literally I'm at a spot of my heart wants to connect with these families. I want families to have it better than my family had it. And I don't know how to do that. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a challenge. No. And it's like, it is, it's not front of mine. It's not back of mine. It's like hovering in the projects I'm trying to conceive and talk to other, you know, other regional leads about, but yeah, I literally had this conversation with a, with a sergeant in my area and she was just like, yeah, it's like, you can, you can create the resource, but are people taking it? And that's, that is an added challenge, right? Cause you can, you can make training modules required, right? You can have session training or in, in service training, for officers but yeah you're right with with families you can't and then uh, you know even spitballing for listeners that are active in their agency for wellness like you can have a newsletter but then where does that go does it go to people's work email and then they're supposed to forward it to their personal and then there's all these public records request things and what if you send something out and someone responds and they have sensitive information or just the fact of their their personal email having their name that could be sensitive they might not want their family you know on the city server of their email somewhere. And so there's all these layers, you know, they're based out of fear, but for good reason, because yeah, yeah. we are so much under the microscope. And so, yeah, how do you, how do you build these things out? And to answer your question with something tangible, I think that you just got to keep trying and you, you put out these different leads and maybe even if it becomes this redundant thing, maybe you make a one, almost like a newsletter, like a no reply thing. You're like, Hey, this is the info going out. Please share with your family or, they may register, then you put it on, uh, you know, the, maybe your, your union, uh, gets involved with disseminating that because that's all off, you know, off the city accounts and what yeah. have you, and yeah. maybe you do the wellness fair and again, you build it, they will come, or maybe they don't, maybe three people come, but then you have to see that as a win. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think that projects like this outside of a specific agency could be offered as resource. I mean, I also know that there's a lot of great organizations that are doing that type of work too, right? Connecting people. Cause really what they need, meaning like the families, they need an opportunity to connect and they need an opportunity 
to have community share experience or just hear, you know, like that's very much what you talk about. Like oftentimes, right. You and your wife is like this specific set of conversations and themes of conversations that are different than what I typically talk about on mine. And it's huge. Yeah. I was thinking about I spitballing this with my wife and she pulled the, no, you're not going to card. Here's the deal. I have these, <laughs> the, these B hags. And I think that's a Jim Collins uh, acronym. If I remember right from good to great, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And so like I've behind the badge came into the Tri Cities and they put on a free event, hundred percent free meals provided phenomenal speakers. I don't know if you know, Phoebe Mulligan, she's over yeah. there on the West side. Mm -hmm. She came into town. She's, I love every time she speaks. And there was a lot of other dynamite, uh, Lindsay McCall long from down in Arizona. She came up as the officer and her husband, Jason spoke as the spouse, just again, great speakers. There was like 10 people from the Tri-Cities in the room. Mm. If it wasn't for folks from the West Side showing up, it would have been a total non-event. Thankfully, I think there was like 40 or 50 people from the West Side. And it was free. And then first responder conferences, Sean Thomas does great work. That one costs yeah. money, though. That one costs mm. you know hundreds of dollars. Now you get a hotel room and all that other stuff, you know, it's but still it costs money. And and so I'm, I'm seeing some of those type of an events and that, that aren't drawing out the masses, but then I still have communication with folks one-on-one -on -one and I know they're hurting. Uh, and, and so that's where I'm like, I don't know, do we, I, I told my wife this weekend, Hey, maybe we start a nonprofit. Like right off the bat, she's like, all right, stop talking right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nonprofits are a lot of work, Dave. And we volunteered for nonprofits before. So we have a glimpse of yeah. what, what we'd be getting into. I'm like, no, no, I'm serious. Just hear me out. Maybe we have like lots of small, we get like leads that will gather together with just small groups of people. And it's up to the officer to gather two other couples. And so for six couples and then like a host couple, man, we just break some bread and share a meal mm -hmm. and talk about, just let's talk for some real talk and, and, uh, make sure that people are aware of the resources. And that like, in my mind, I'm wondering whether that would be successful, but it really comes down to, again, what do people want? Where do people feel safe? That's a good thing. I think how, because yeah. you just brought up some really valid points. People don't want them to have their personal emails connected to city servers or county servers, because what does happen when there's a PDR, how much of that gets out, right? I, I want my, my personal information protected. So I don't know the answer um, other than I'm going to keep pushing out messaging. And, and I think that definitely creates an opportunity. I know for people to reach out in private messages and say, Hey, can, can I ask you some questions? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And just to hang on that thought for a sec, like we can have the one-on-one -on -one conversations. You certainly had countless, I'm, you know, I bet a lot of money you've had countless peer type conversations or conversations with your wife and others to share. Right. And there's so much value. There's actually no greater value in my belief. And this is uh, me expanding on a thought of, uh, from, you know, deputy chief Andy McCurdy. Are you familiar with? Yeah. Who doesn't know the McCurdy brothers? Um, yeah. Andy and Patrick. Yeah. And so we're talking about wellness apps and I think there's a lot of opportunities, um, you know, with people using their devices and having resources directly there. Right. And maybe I'm not going to hit up someone in my department peer support, but I can hop on this app and there's several really good ones that are growing and I can talk to a stranger on, you know, that is in the industry, like anonymously. Right. And I might be able to just unload all my stuff. Am I, I might be able to pull myself out of a really bad, dark place. You know, but for him, he's like, I think that there's no real replacement for the in-person personal connection. Yeah. And I don't disagree. So for me, it's a yes and, right? Okay. Like, I think that, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, why you start the podcast is because we've had these types of conversations. Like I've shared some of my stories. I've talked to other peer support or, you know, other officers about their stories. But then it's an opportunity to scale it. And scaling doesn't mean more value. It's just more volume. It might be a lesser value. Like you could make that argument, but I've listened to a lot of people speak that I've never met that are life changing in the paradigms they introduce or the relation okay. that I can now expand my thought and my experience. Yeah. And so I think it should be a yes. And, and maybe that's an opportunity, right? Even on that thought, I, you know, when you're saying, Hey, you're talking to your wife about a nonprofit. You don't know the answer, but these are things you're mulling all over. 
I mean, there's probably someone listening that is coming up with a great idea. Maybe they flesh it out tomorrow or maybe they flesh it out five years from now because hopefully something we've said kind of helped them get that next step closer to what their genius ideas that you and I couldn't come up with. Yes, totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's valuable. I, um, and that's what has kept the podcast going. What has kept any of this uh, sharing of story going has been the one-on-one testimonials. It's been mm-hmm. my wife and I considering, and from a faith level, us praying over whether we would continue the effort and somebody with who didn't know that's what we were doing, reaching out to us and saying, hey, I just want to let you know that one guest you had on so-and-so, that thing they said, uh, it really helped me. I was in a bad way. And, and that has hap- happened every time we've considered uh, just stepping away from the podcast uh, due, mm-hmm. due to the time and effort that goes into it. And uh, and so I know that it's making a change. And I would agree with you. I mean, yeah, would I would I love to be uh, to be reaching, you know, 10,000, 100,000 people a month? Absolutely. Because I think it's an important message that uh, that it's OK to not be OK, that All of this stigma surrounding mental injuries, and I like to change the word injury instead of health on purpose, all of the stigma surrounding it uh, is is a bunch of garbage. And uh, just like if I twist my knee, you're not going to judge me. If my my mind is injured from the stuff I've seen and had to do, uh, it's okay. Let's uh, Mm -hmm. let's get some training and rehabilitation to, to work this muscle, our brain muscle back into health. So yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I think that connection to your faith and connection into your purpose and it, you know, someone from the outside, and let me just say me looking at you and your wife and what you're doing, I'm like, yeah, why would they stop? They're like, they're doing that great work, right? But it, it it is good to have that reset and be like, okay, is it still serving us and why? And to remind ourselves of why I think it's crucial. I think it helps us be more successful in whatever the thing, right? And so a lot of my my project was really trying to mentor younger officers at scale and put out these things that I've learned and these things that I'm reading and I'm consuming the things that I think are helpful for my leadership brain as I'm like a novice leader as I would, I would conceptualize it. But then there's people that reach out and then to provide that, that one-on-one touch is fantastic. Right. And then I considered, you know, should I coach, but I do have limited bandwidth, right? I only have, That's part of why I invest in social media is because then I can just put out something, something that uh, was helpful for me and a bunch of people can read it and they can comment and they can have some, you know, some sense of, you know, collaboration or conversation. Uh, but then there's a dude that reaches out and he's, he's looked at something I put out a long time ago, which was just to say like, you know, one-on-one coaching on my website that I haven't paid much mind to. And really where he's coming from, I'm like, absolutely. Like I can help you and I do need to take time. And so it's been very rewarding to do that on a different, uh, a different plane, but at the same time, keep doing what, you know, what I'm doing. Um, so I, yeah, I think it, again, it's, it depends and it's just depending on where you're coming from and what you're needing and what the audience slash, you know, your community is needing. Yeah. I like what you said there about uh, what I heard you saying. And I think you said it in these words, just the, the natural process of us reanalyzing the natural step in our lives, whether this is an annual thing we do, whether it's quarterly, monthly, daily, whatever whatever repetition we need of just say, asking the question, are the things that I have that in my life, are they, the, are they truly the great things? And what I found in my life was there's so many good things. There are so many righteous efforts at work, at home, in your community that you can get so busy at the good that that you're just doing mediocre good work. Mm. And, and I, I found a number, I've had to relearn this lesson over and over again, that I have to say no to the good so I can be available for the great. I have to say no to, and I, I, I've started doing this more frequently. I have friends that will call me up and say, hey, Chris, can you pick me up from the airport at 9.30 at night? I'm like, nope, why not? My, bed, my bedtime is eight o'clock. If mm. you need to be picked up from 5 a.m. to eight o'clock, I am your man. If you need to be picked up outside of those hours, I will give you money for an Uber because I care about you or you need yeah. to find someone else. But I am not your guy. Whereas I didn't used to do that. It used to be yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. I'm here to serve. I'm here to take care of my neighbor. I'm here to take care of my friend and my family. And 
there's just too many human beings. You can't do it all. You have to, at some point, recognize that, that there has to be boundaries. And I know yes. one of my boundaries right now, especially as I continue to heal my brain from having post-traumatic stress injury, I have to get good sleep. I have to be stingy with my sleep. And I go to bed most nights again at eight o'clock is when I'm nice. in bed starting to read. And, and if I, if I don't, I can, I can get through a day. I can get through a couple days in a row where I don't have great sleep, but then it starts to mount up. Then, then that starts to just like cumulative trauma is an issue. Uh, when you stack up poor sleep and you're not allowing your brain to do that natural process, I found for myself that that there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be a physical consequence in my in my words, in my relationships. I'm going to say things I shouldn't say. It's going to now have conflict. Uh, so I, I think that's one thing we have to start doing as first responders. And I say that first responders because I think most of us, if not all of us, have these hearts that want to just continue to give, 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 give. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're going to have nothing to give. Yeah, yeah It's not a renewable resource or a, a completely on, you know, boundless energy source, like you have only limited bandwidth, you have only so much time in the day, and you only have so many hours to give and there has to be your family, but at the crux of it has to be you and you're absolutely right. Like we talk about first responders and why we have to belabor it is because our job is to take care of other people in our jobs, unlike other jobs were in unlike other jobs that are in care you know, there's a clock in clock out, right? There's not this level of expectation, maybe for medical professionals in some way, right? But um, yeah, I'm not expected to like, you know, a, a teacher isn't expected to like hop in, you know, to a group of kids just talking like over math just to, I mean, it's great if they do and they help them through some math problems, but um, they're not operating with this like hypervigilance to like, I might be, I might be called upon to enact something to preserve life or yeah. something critical from happening. Yeah. in my day-to-day at the grocery store like that's not necessarily a thing and so it does mount where you know we talked about a little bit before but i i do see a lot of trends with people that are in our care niche right our smaller care circle like who's taking care of those people because yeah a lot of people in the peer support world um leaders in the region or you know nationally and beyond they're not taking care of themselves because their purpose outside of them is imbalance is too great it says everything about their heart it is something to be very appreciative of something very proud of but we gotta we gotta curb it back right so for you recognize those boundaries those non-negotiables of hey i need sleep because that's that's how you can put out what you put out and create more good that's crucial um you know for a lot of active folks like they could probably recognize if they don't if they don't get their daily workout they're not optimized they're probably a little bit moody. They're probably a little antsy, but if it goes two days, then it's way worse. Right. And you talk, talk about three days, they're not even themselves. And so that might be an example that a lot of people can relate to. And I think that is something that we need to, uh, we need to get better at, right. We need to check that and, and make sure we're serving ourselves first, which is really hard to do. And it's even hard to say. Yeah. And it's hard to do, I think in leadership, I'm actually concerned about our chiefs and sheriffs just because, mm-hmm. I mean, I felt it as a sergeant when I got promoted. Uh, I, I I didn't have as many resources available to me as an officer. Man, I got all the other officers and my sergeant if I want. Whereas as you progress through the ranks, it gets lonely. And yeah. th- this isn't about us you know, feeling bad for, but it's a recognition that we want our chiefs and sheriffs, we want our command staff having great resources because even though they may not be showing up on the scene, they're still taking in that trauma uh, on a in a secondary area because of the fact that their folks are taking it in, because of the fact that they are on scene later and they see the body, because of the fact that they are reviewing case reports and images and and um, yeah, I see a void there, and I'm 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 hoping just that that chiefs and sheriffs will will leverage the relationship they have with each other. You have your fellow chiefs, you have your fellow sheriffs. I'm hoping you have. Uh, some some collaborative meetings where you can get real with each other. Leave leave the whether it's ego or fear or whatever. Leave it at the door and have some opportunities just to check in with each other and make sure each other are doing well. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I brought the topic up honestly within the last week and it was talking about wellness and I was kind of introducing this. Hey, we can recognize not pointing fingers, but most of us be honest 
and non-judgmental, but we can recognize that a lot of our command staff, a lot of our executive leaders are not well, right? They're not doing the things that they're asking us, you know, and more progressive on top of it, agencies are like, hey, officers, go work out, please go get mental health treatment. Hey, we're paying for these, you know, these confidential sessions, please use them. But when you look at them in the hallway and you look at them, you know, at a roll call, you're like, man, like you kind of worry, right? And sometimes there's all these emotions because it's the boss and all that. But yeah, not to not to make it about that, but just honestly, like, you know that they're stressed. I mean, most people, I, I say all the time, like, I do not envy my chief and my deputy chief for the the level of stress that I perceive their job to be. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine that life right now. But all to say, like, yeah, like, it does get lonely at the top. Like, I got promoted a couple months ago, and luckily I have really tight circles, um, really close friends, and I'm trying to network, you know, other command staff outside of my circle, right? Because there's things that I probably need to talk about and unpack in a peer support type fashion that might not be ideal to talk about with my with my buddies and my coworkers, not because I'm talking stuff, but just because if I wanted objective view, it would be helpful if they didn't know names and faces and histories, right? If I'm just trying to trying to be most objective and fair to process or how I conceptualize leadership decisions. But yeah, I, I definitely see that. And I, I echo what you said, because I, when I thought about like, what could they be doing? And it, it really needs to be that layer of peer support, but there are a lot fewer of them, right? Like it's just, it's just logistics. You, the higher you go, there's fewer of them yeah. to connect with. Yeah. Well, and you don't, unless like yourself, where you served in a role of peer support and leading the team, uh, a, there, there are a lot of command staff that didn't, uh, because it's a newer thing right now, at least. And yeah. and then even even for the folks that did, you're probably going to be a year or two or five or ten years, depending on how long you're in command staff, removed from it. And it's it's not something that I think it's something we've neglected. And uh, I've seen it, like you said, I've seen it on my bosses' faces, and I call them bosses. Some of them are friends. Some of them we work together as we promoted mm-hmm. through the ranks. So these yeah. are my friends, and I see it on their face. Uh, you know, today I went to this promotion ceremony. They all looked great. They, everyone was smiling, and it, I, I genuinely believe they were happy, and things good. were good. And I know that there's times that it just gets heavy. And I, I've, you know, my dad was a commander uh, over here on the east side, similar to a deputy chief. And he, uh, I saw how many hours that man worked. I saw how hard he worked. I saw what he brought home. My mm-hmm. man, my man would be at the kitchen table with us, having a full conversation with with someone in his mind. <laughs> and you know, I kind of laughed at the time, but then you know, my wife would point out when I would do it, when I would bring it home, mm-hmm. and I'd be sitting yep. there having a conversation. And my wife would be like, "Hey, are you pulling two shows tonight?" I'm like, mm-hmm. "What do you mean? Am I pulling two shows?" She's like, "You're having a conversation, sweetheart." And I'm like. Yeah, I was. Thank you. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't like know the, I was doing that outwardly. It's funny. Yeah, it's like the picture in picture. You know, that used to be a thing. You're like your NFL red zone. You're watching like four games at the same time. I'm like, are you here even? Right? Like, <laughs> what conversation are you in? Um, maybe we can pivot there. You know, as we kind of wrap things. I know we covered a lot of ground, but these tangible things. I think it's always helpful to talk about familial relations and maybe lessons learned. Right? Like, yeah, something that I'm. I'm trying to get better at. I, I can think of a couple of times I did it recently where I'll ask permission because I, my wife is so supportive. My goodness. Right. Like, but I will just like jump into like this stressful interaction, right. Or this, this thing with another officer or, you know, the thing with the Sergeant when I was an officer or this call and she's not really ready. Right. It's like, she's, she's a sponge. She's like there and she's supportive, a great listener. But I found that, I, I just had a habit of just dumping, right? Just dumping on her. So a lot of times now I'll, I'll try to take a pause, check in, right? Just like, let's just do the surface level check-in. How are our days? And then I'll ask permission, right? I'm like, hey, I think this is actually kind of funny because you know some of the history here, but can I tell you a story about, and she'll, you know, she'll just generally be like, yeah. But I find that that's helping, right? It, it breaks the ice a little bit. We'll usually both crack a smile and she'll kind of roll her eyes. She's like, yeah, sure, right? Just get it, get it out. And then we can just talk about like actual life. Yeah. No, I think that's super valuable. Creating the mechanisms and they, sometimes they feel awkward. Like you said, you guys crack a smile because it's like this thing we've, this process we've created, but my wife and I have actually found once we get past the discomfort of the process, cause it almost feels fake kind of, 
we we actually start having some really breakthrough conversations. And I think if if first responders listening can take something away that applies to your family, come up with the language so that when you get home, you have a way to communicate with your family that it's been a tough day and that you need 10 or you need 20. If you didn't work out at work, maybe you go for a walk in the neighborhood. If you have a home gym, go in and get a few reps. Uh, go take a cold shower. Go in your room, just turn off the lights and do that combat breathing that we, mm. we, we've all yep. learned, autogenic breathing. And you know, if you like to meditate, you, it can turn into a meditative session. If that is outside of your comfort zone, just focus on the breathing, just, just breathe. And, but like there was a lot of times that I showed up at home and I knew it had been a tough day or a tough week and I didn't communicate that to my wife and it didn't come out until I lost my cool, lost my patience on someone that it was like, oh man. So have that language. It can be a code word or it can be super plain language. It's been a tough day. Can I, can I have mm-hmm. 10 and let our spouses do it too, right? Get yeah. home, If you get home and your spouse looks at you and goes, it's been a horrible day. I need 10. And if you don't have the bandwidth, it's been a tough day here too. Can you give me three or, you know, what, yeah. whatever it is so that we can show up. That's the thing. So that we can show up as the, as the family members. And I use that generically because there's so many different combinations, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. as the family members that we want to show up as and enjoy those relationships. Yeah. I love that. And just asking permission, right. It's just simply a very courteous way to communicate and, you know, maybe it's like, oh man, I could really use 10. And then you just see your spouse's or your partner's face and they're like, I need five to 10. And then you might be like, well, I took turn last time. Like, yeah, you go first, right? It's kind of like, who needs to take a shower? And it's usually like one person was like, no, I'm really set on taking the shower and not, you know, I want the fresh hot water, right? You communicate that and you take turns or you do what you need, right? And for a lot of people listening, you know, whether they're parents or uh, soon to be parents or what have you, like, you know, a lot of times we just try to rush home to be with our family and with our kids. But I've made the mistake of trying to rush in the door before I was ready yeah. and good on my wife to recognize like, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. It's like rushing in, but you're so like kind of still in it and agitated and irritable. Like I would appreciate if you actually just take a pause and you do your workout, right? Like you take 10 and do your thing. And so she communicated that permission, which was so huge for me. And a lot of times I didn't need it, but even to you know kind of circulate that idea right like because our kids are there they don't need both of us full on usually they're they're trying to get whatever attention they don't have right so if you have one parent you know one family member plugged in then the other one yeah like let them take a break and we know what this looks like as far as like going out with your boys or your ladies night or you know your spa day or just your workout time like it's all huge right so this is just maybe a smaller digestible version that you can roll into your day-to-day and your week-to-week yeah totally brother i i usually say this at the end and then i'll turn it over to you i mean time's my greatest commodity right like it just it, it is there's even in this retired you know consulting work that i'm doing now mm-hmm. uh i still only have so much of this stuff and you we've connected on the phone you you take my call you you respond to my texts so many times uh, i've appreciated connecting with you so thanks for all of those and thanks for today as well thank you man yeah thanks for the role modelship and what you're doing um and then for my guests can you share a little bit about what you're doing and um for everybody i wouldn't be surprised if we have another conversation before too long yeah yeah so i started a company called gravity consulting and training uh teaching a lot of the leadership stuff that i was teaching to to supervisors in the criminal justice career field i'm just kind of pivoting and teaching that to the for-profit business uh, on top of that, my wife and I are teaching about wellness. We're sharing our story of this whole post-traumatic stress journey and the things we did right, the things we did wrong, and just the whole story of healing through it all. Um, and then I'm, I, there's a few other topics I'm, I'm teaching through my company. So whether people looked at uh, Gravity Podcast on any podcast platform or my website is gravityct.com, there's information about the different training offerings that that we have and and just the, the work that we're trying to do to, to make things better than we found it. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Well, thanks again for your time, man. And if you could do the same, brother, I know this is kind of yeah. weird since we're doing this this joint, but yeah, talk no, about yeah, that's Blue, good, that's good. Blue Grit Radio and what you're doing on yeah. socials. 
Yeah, so I'm most active on Instagram. That's Blue Grit Wellness, one word. Um, I'm on TikTok because it was a suggestion, and you know you get a different, you know, a little bit of followership there, right? But I got the blog, bluegritwellness.com. Um, not as active on there, trying to do more. And yeah, so you can find me there. My email is on there. It's bluegritwellness at gmail. Um, but yeah, please reach out. Let me know what's helpful. Um, this is the main conversations I'm trying to have are circulating around police culture wellness, leadership, mindset, all the things we need and all the things we covered today. Yeah, and then you can find us both on Police One Magazine. Oh, yeah. Police Heck One. yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it, brother. Well, thank right. you. Thanks for your time, man. You as well. Holy smokes, folks. I don't even know what to say. Uh, I am just constantly honored by this this opportunity to speak with other folks in our community to speak with police officers to speak with other first responders and to hear their experiences to hear their wisdom i think eric has a lot to bring to the table uh, from his experiences from his role that he's had in leadership positions from leading his peer support team to uh, the different formal positions of sergeant and commander i just love to hear what he has going on and the things he's doing to make this better. Hey folks, speaking of making it better, Jamie and I want to make this podcast better. We'd really like to hear from you. There's different ways for you to communicate to us. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, uh, please consider rating and reviewing us. There's five stars waiting on our main page. Go to the main page of the podcast there on those platforms and please give us a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating that will increase the listenership or it popping up on other people's screens. However, folks, if we haven't earned five stars, keep your star shoot me an email instead at chris at gravityct.com let us know how to make it better future marriage monday topics or guests for me to interview folks we only get to live this life once let's go out and take care of the people in our tribes take care of each other god bless